Hi, I'm Joseph. And I'm TJ. And this is Hi-Fi. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Very good. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, and I'm doing better since you told me that you now have joined the correct phone train. Yes, and there was so much rejoicing. Yes. I have the <laughs> iPhone 13 mini. The 13 mini, you say? Yes, it is the one true phone. Yes. The iPhone mini. Correct. Mm-hmm. I agree. I got the iPhone 13 mini this afternoon. I've had my eye on it since they announced them and I wanted it, but I needed to see the colors. So I went to the Apple store and saw all of them in all their glory, all the different sizes. So you did that today? Yes. I get a half day on Fridays, you know, work a little extra Monday through Thursday. So got okay. out of the yeah, office. Sure. I like it. So, and they had all the iPhone, like, <laughs> they had an iPhone mini in stock. Did they have any other iPhones in stock or was it just the mini? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, yeah, no, we're only carrying the mini here. Go somewhere else for your Maxes, guys. Well, no, what I what I really was getting at is, you know, Apple has apparently not been selling, the minis haven't been selling well. And right. so I was curious if uh, they had any other phones in stock or just the mini. You know, I should have asked and I didn't ask, but they also acted like it would be no big deal to try to check their stock for any of the phones that I may have wanted. Mm. Uh, when I started up the conversation, I was like, do you actually have some of the iPhone 13s in stock? And he's like, yeah, what do you want? And so I was a little surprised he didn't sound hesitant. Like, uh, it depends on what you want. You know, he, he didn't act like that. He acted like they may have the one. Well, you know, Apple over the years, I think, has has realized and, and figured out how to, with their, you know, Tim Cook operations guy, they figured out how to have enough iPhones on, on launch. I, yes. I'd say for the last few years, uh, well, I think, I'm trying to remember which phone it was, because I, I, obviously I ordered my 12 mini and I was on the Android train before that for a few years, a couple of years. I think it might have been the 6S. I... No, 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 no. It was, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rehashing this all on the show for people. It was the 5S. I didn't pre-order it and I walked into the store and I picked up mine and my wife's, uh, my, my 5S and my wife's 5C. We just picked them up and it was fine. Now the 6S, I think we did wind up ordering, but you know, and until the 6S, I think that I always uh, went into the store and always had success that way. But often it was, I was in line at 3 a.m., more like 5 a.m. And I was, you know, 30 or 40 back and I got a phone, but then there were people in line who wouldn't get a phone because if you weren't there soon enough, they would run out. And I think Apple's fixed that problem. I would venture to say so. They seemed like they had their act together. It was pretty quiet in the store. And I think that this is also in part because of the pandemic season, still making shockwaves around the country. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People are still hesitant to go to malls. It's a mall store. I remember going to the same store before pandemics. And it was just crowded. It was noisy. Yeah. Really striving to get anybody's attention for assistance. And now they have all the same number of employees, but they have maybe one customer per employee in the entire store. Interesting. Which is, yeah, before it would have been easily five or six customers per every employee. Interesting. Now, was the entire mall like that, you know, lacking in, in people or was it just the Apple store? Good question. Uh, I took the uh, food court entrance that was closest to the Apple store and didn't take a walk around the mall. But from what I could tell in the middle of Friday afternoon, I would say that it was about average. Okay. This is a good part of town. It is very heavily populated. It was not hard to get a parking space and it was not hard to walk through the mall. But there were people everywhere that I went. 
Okay. Yeah, and I, I was just curious, like, how the different areas respond, because I, I do think that, you know, if in certain places of the country, things are more or less normal, and in other places, they're not. But then the Apple Store, even if they're in a, say, a mall that, for instance, our Apple Store is in a mall that has no no mask mandates, no other restrictions, but the Apple Store is like, you got to be, you know, masked up and... Probably, I haven't been in a while. They're probably requiring COVID vaccines now to enter. I mean, I, I don't know how they verify that, but but I'm just saying, like, I wonder if the onerousness of that and, you know, us being in the South and yeah, I, who, who knows? I was just curious about that. I wasn't expecting to be welcomed in without a mask on and I got to the door and I didn't have a mask. I, I you know, I, if I have to have a mask, I, I'll, I'll wear a mask if that's what the business established sure, sure, once. Sure. Yeah. And I got to the door and there was a security guy there and he says, Oh, you need a mask. And he handed me a box and I took one. Yeah. But no problems. You know, it was easy to get the mask. Okay. Yeah. All right. Enough about that. So you got a red phone with a blue case. Please explain yourself. So it is like Superman, but he's got a blue cape and he's got a red suit. <laughs> it's like a superhero you've never seen before. So does it wear its does he does this phone wear its underwear on the outside? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like Superman from uh, Earth Two or you know another variant. He's a variant. That's what I'm saying. So the red is actually very good. If you if you think about like the richer, darker, sort of rose tinted colored Superman capes, this is kind of the shade of red that we're talking about. And the gloss on the back. Okay. The rails on the side are more reflective, so that there the reflection is a brighter, shiny red. Okay. But even the rails are darker than in the last couple of years. But that glass in the back is especially noticeably richer, darker red, very saturated. And a lot of the videos I'm seeing on YouTube reviews are not reflecting the colors very accurately. Mm. I will give you one or two video reviews that I think did an incredible job with color grading their videos so that the red shows up as the, the red color that I have in my hand. Well, and then, I mean, even then, though, that's going to depend on your display and the color accuracy. And yeah, uh, I, yeah. you know, I like my displays, but I, you know, they're Dell, dis they're Dell displays and I don't necessarily trust them for color because I, I don't care that it's super color accurate. So I'm, I'm actually trying to pull up the website on my iPad because I trust the iPad for color accuracy. I mean, it's Apple and I feel like Apple probably has it color accurate. So now I'm looking at the red. It actually looks the same as on my computer, maybe a little richer, darker. Anyway, interesting. According to the photos, and it's interesting to hear you say that in person, it's about the same red as Superman's cape. I, I feel like this is a deeper, richer red than, than Superman's cape on, on my uh, iPad. Yeah, it depends on the red. It depends on which Superman we're talking about. There's the Christopher Reeves, which is way too bright. It's beautiful, uh, you, know, you know, optimistic, and it's got a glow about it. Mm, this is mm -hmm. more like the Man of Steel red. If you gave it a little bit of its color back. It is darker, but it's rich. It's very saturated. So picture it in the Joss Whedon film of Justice League, not the Zack Snyder Justice League film. You know, it's, it's brighter, richer. Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, I was just looking up Man of Steel Superman to see if I could remember the cape. Yeah, the problem with that film was that they heavily color graded it to look kind of brownish green. And uh, no, but if you can get that off of the film, the red and blue of his suit was very nice. Okay, interesting. Anyway, not reviewing Superman's outfit, reviewing the phone. Oh, we're not? Oh, come on, Joe. Yes, the Superman phone, the product Superman edition. So the phone is noticeably smaller being the mini. It feels lighter. It is 
tactile enough with that glass that, what do you call it? It's glossy on the back, which is the inverse of the 12 Pro. And I like it, you know, the 12th or the 13 Pro, the 11 Pro, the 12 Pro, they all have the frosted back glass and the glossy rails. So it's easier to grab them by the rails than by the back. Grab it by the rails. Grab it by the rails. And it's easier to do with the mini than uh, the full-sized phones. And while I was there, I tested out all the other phones too, but I still felt confident it was about size for me. I far prefer this in the hand and in my pocket. So are you worried at all about battery life? Do you feel better because it gets an hour and a half more battery life than mine did new or? I am feeling better about that. I haven't had a whole day on it, but from several of the reviews that I've watched, folks that were using things like the 12 Pro who moved to the 13 mini, I'm not the only one. There's a few other guys. And they've been using it for a week and they said in their experience that they haven't noticed battery life draining too fast. Hmm, so okay. I'm feeling good about that. Yeah. I did check out all the other phones. One of the things that struck me, TJ, was that I didn't expect to like some of the colors based on looking at marketing materials from the website on my phone or watching the videos on my Mac. Which colors did you think you wouldn't like? Gold, uh, Sierra, blue, pink, the normal medium blue of the regular 13 model. I just thought that they were off-putting, not fantastic. They were okay. Middle of the road colors. I didn't think that they would really shine. And in person, every single color was just attractive to look at. Hmm. I don't, again, I'd have to see it in person, but I don't think I like any of the, except maybe graphite, but any of the pro colors. I, I definitely am more liking the the blue of the mini or the regular iPhone. That's about it. Like at midnight, I think I could get on board with them blue. I don't like any of the other colors. The colors are just so weird this year. Remember when we talked about the the midnight color, how I was saying in the last episode that it looked like it was black on my iPad screen and you were saying it did have a hint of blue on your MacBook screen. Yeah. And in person in the Apple store, their lighting is a little bit on the blue side already. My wife and I were looking at the phones together and I said, hey, check this out. Did you see this is uh, this is midnight blue? And she goes, what? That's that's black. Interesting. And so then I said, no, no, no. It's, it, it, look at this. So bear with me. And I grabbed one of the graphite phones and held it together with the midnight. And she said, ah, mm. OK, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's got a hint of blue. So even in person, you would not say that it had blue in it. Yeah, you would need to contrast it with something that was truly desaturated. Yeah. I guess midnight's okay then, like for a general purpose, like a color that is not a color. I, I guess I guess what's just throwing me is that the unavailability, in theory, according to the color names, of a phone that has no real color to it. Like like that's just sort of a no brainer, and yet Apple didn't seem to do that. And except that I guess the midnight is kind of that. That or maybe they would say the graphite is that because I mean gray is desaturated, right? Close to black. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose the graphite is fairly neutral. That's true. If I were going to get an iPhone Pro, let's see, I'm looking at the iPhone Pro now. See, the Sierra Blue is too light for me. Gold is a little light, but I could probably be okay with it. I would probably go for graphite or silver, though, if I were getting the Pro. And I wanted to comment, too, about the cinematic video mode. It works better than I was expecting. I've done a little bit of uh, some experimenting with it. And I think the more complicated the shot, the worse it'll tend to be. Yeah. Did, did you see Joanna Stern's video of uh, she was doing all the, the low lighting stuff in the 
the the the girl playing the, the woman playing the keyboard no but i i love her videos i'll look at that one i'll, I'll try i'll find it put it in the show notes i looked at tyler stallman's and he's a fantastic photographer up in new york city he went to the coast he went to the beach he had a lot of people mingling around you know the city skyline in the background beautiful sky with you know the sun shining and palm trees and things like that and it, it was very complicated for the cinematic mode it, it didn't uh come through very consistently sometimes it was beautiful but usually the scenes between like him and his wife talking with waves crashing against the rocks behind them it was kind of weird bad cutouts yeah and it wouldn't be so bad if you were watching that kind of footage back on your phone because the phone is already so small Small, yeah it's really hard to see where the focus ends and begins Hmm. but on a mac screen it yeah it shows up pretty badly I feel like Apple may have a little bit of a messaging problem here, and I think maybe they should have said it was in beta. From all the videos that I'm seeing, it can get decent shots, but it still never looks quite right. And I think they should have said it was in beta, but instead they really trumpeted it as this thing. Yeah, it's just ready to go out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, and it's not. It is, from every video that I've seen, it's like, well, it's, you can do, if, if you do it right, and if you don't, like, have low lighting, and you make sure the shot's set up just right, It'll be okay-ish, but it's never going to be great. And that's not, I don't think, what Apple wants. And I remember, I, I actually haven't used portrait mode on the iPhone that much. I should actually, because uh, I like taking portrait mode. This is obviously not, it's, it's related to cinematic mode, but, but it's, and it's the same concept, but they probably have the processing power to do a little more since they're not shooting a frame every, you know, you know or 24 or 30 or 60 frames a second or whatever you got your camera mode in. But I remember back in the day that Google, I don't know if this is still the case, but my Google phone took much better portrait mode pictures than Apple's. Uh, it was still occasionally, you could still see they, the miscalculated depth and edges, but but it was better than Apple's. And I don't know if Apple's fixed that or not. And and if, if cinematic mode is any indication, perhaps they haven't. Yeah. So what I would suggest to anybody who wants it to look pretty good for what it is, is keep in mind that if you're getting a close-up, the background should be more out of focus. And if you're getting a medium shot, you would expect for the background blur to lessen. And then if it's a wide shot, even more so. And what I think is happening from my first few examples is that it is just being too aggressive. Yeah. So the level of bokeh at a medium shot is more akin to what you would expect in a close-up. Yeah. So if you just go in there in editing, you can quickly uh, reduce the background blur. You can make it all the way to the point that it is sharp again. Or you can just give it a hint of that blur. And it, it actually a middle-of-the-road compromise works most of the time. There are examples where maybe there is stray hairs that are blowing around and mm-hmm. got a big hairdo or who knows what. Maybe you got some <laughs> sunglasses on top of your head. Yeah. Those kinds of things, it has a hard time with. Yeah, the, the hair, even Google stuff, even though it's better, it has problem with stray hairs and things, for sure. People aren't used to dealing with prime lenses and things like that. In general, with you're used to dealing with zoom lenses, and so in the real world, anybody who has even a little bit of experience with a zoom lens camera, the more zoomed out you are, the less bokeh you're going to get, right? And And I feel like maybe... Apple is being too aggressive and maybe Google too on on the bokeh with wider shots. I wonder if it just boils down to that amateurs, uh, your everyday family folk, you know, who are getting one of these phones and they're using it for the first time said, oh, what does cinematic mode do? Oh, I don't see what it did. Maybe in some of the field testing at Apple 
And then they had to be told, well, you see, it's making the background blurry. Oh, it is? And so then maybe the developer said, let's let's crank that up so that everyday people, the muggles, can see the background <laughs> blur too. But th- surely they're going to backpedal. If they don't, then we're going to have to manually backpedal it every time. Yeah, I'm trying to see. I don't have a face, but I think I think portrait mode will work with just objects, won't it? Yes. Oh, yeah, it does. And so I'm, tr- I'm looking just live at, at, the, at the effect. Eh. One of the other things about the way that Apple promoted cinematic mode, I had the impression at first that it was all about rack focusing, that it was about switching from one person's face to another. And it does way more than that. Oh, of course. If you just have a single point of interest, you have your four-year-old running around in the backyard and you're filming them and the dog comes and goes and the dog is there on screen for a moment and then gone again for several seconds. It is doing its best to try and identify what to focus on. Hmm. And I saw an example where it, it flew with flying colors in a complex environment like that. The dad following his three-year-old or four-year-old around and it worked for the most part so yeah it has its moments that it does pull through yeah and there's there's definitely mixed reviews and emotions and and feelings about uh iphone 13 cinematic mode i think the best part about it is you can shoot in cinematic mode and if you don't like it you can adjust it or turn it off like apple's actually provided controls for that which is unusual for apple usually apple's like here's what you get you get what you get (laughs) and this year they've actually given us some they've given us controls for that They've also given some controls. I think these are pro-only features, but they've given controls for the the styling of, of the photo. So obviously, for those of us who know at least a little bit about photos, and uh, I'll try to explain, when you shoot a photo, what comes off the sensor is not necessarily what you're getting. What comes off the sensor is what's called RAW, which is where the RAW format comes from. And then usually that is rendered into a JPEG because you, storing RAW photos is you know pretty space intensive. So, so that's rendered into a JPEG. And so what happens is uh, the, the various cameras have their processing that they do on the photos. Apple calls it the processing pipeline. So then they have to choose the look and feel that they want in general for their photos as they do that processing. Well, Apple has given controls now that say, I like my pictures in general to be warmer. I like them to be cooler or uh, things of that nature. You can adjust certain facets of the processing pipeline. So these strike me as as things that Apple of the past probably wouldn't have done. So it's it's interesting. Going back to the other models, while I was in the store, I wanted to see the refresh rate on the Pro models. Sure, it's it's really good, but you know that effect that some people are getting, where it makes them a little bit nauseous or seasick or disoriented. That happened to me a little bit, TJ. I tried it out on just browsing apple.com, going up and down the page, swiping around the home screen from one springboard to the next, playing a racing car game, playing, what is it called? Like one of those Marvel duke it out games where you've got Captain America fighting Thanos side by side with a health meter and you're trying to defeat Thanos. And then I played this other game called, I think it was called Hyperforma. It was a beautiful 3D rendered game. I can recommend Hyperforma. The the experience as a whole, beautiful screen. I love how bright these get. The 13 mini gets brighter too, I think, than the previous uh, the previous mini. You won't notice it except in really bright environments. Yeah. It gets up there. It is more noticeably easier on the eyes in a very bright spot. Mm-hmm. But that uh that pro motion, uh, I wasn't a big fan. I think if I had a pro phone, honestly, I would be hesitant not to turn it off. Interesting. I would probably just go ahead and turn it off. It's sort of like dealing with 5G. 
do you really want it on? The When you get it out of the box, it's automatically on. And I didn't think I would feel this way. I thought ProMotion, baby, all the way. Give it to me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like how it made me feel. <laughs> so I didn't see that coming. Interesting. So obviously I haven't seen it on the phone. I did check. I thought I had turned it off on my iPad. I hadn't. And I turned it off. And it's not a huge deal, but it's like, oh, stuff definitely looks a little j- more jittery when scrolling. So I turned it back on on my iPad. And I, it's, I've just left it on. I wondered if, too the regular 13 doesn't handle jitters the same way it doesn't maybe it still does something to try and reduce the note the noticeability of jitters because there's a lot of people who go back and forth from the 13 and the 13 pros to look at the motion and they don't really notice the difference yeah i I would say if i wasn't looking for it i probably wouldn't notice it okay yeah it's more about i think an overall feel and experience that apple is going for perhaps I think if you were really trying to hypnotize somebody, you got to use ProMotion. That'll get them unconscious really fast because that's that's kind of how it makes me feel. Like I'm going to pass out. Just saying. Think about that. Okay. All right. Anything else that you want to talk about with your iPhone or show? Uh, just a comment. Uh, this is my first silicone case. My wife's had silicone cases before. I finally came around. I think it was the, the 6 and 6S generation. I didn't like silicone cases back then because... I just, I didn't like the rounded edges on those cases. Well, and I can tell you those cases start peeling at the edges. I don't know if the iPhone 12, 13 ones will or not, but um, I'm, and I've stopped using my silicone case in favor of the peel case. But. Okay. Yeah. My wife's hasn't started peeling off, but it has gouges in it just from everyday use. Mm. She was surprised it would get gouges at all because she really hasn't abused it and dropped it on concrete. So don't know where those came up in the first place. All right. So we can move on. Why don't you tell me, uh, well, this is follow-up, I suppose, uh, about your uh, car stereo situation. So, yes, if you remember, everybody, I have a new SUV in my life. It is a t- the year 2000 model Honda CRV, and it did not have any of the modern conveniences of Bluetooth or USB in the stereo. So I needed something, and I didn't want to spend a lot of money on it. It's an old vehicle, and I don't know how much longer it's got to live. It's in fairly decent condition, though, and I'm going to use this as my daily driver, giving my wife my other, my uh, 2014 Honda, Hyundai, Hyundai. Man, I'll get the pronunciation one of these days. Hyundai? Hyundai uh, uh, (laughs) Elantra. And I'm used to Bluetooth, and I'm spoiled with it. Yes. So I went over to Best Buy, I did some price checking, and I found the Kenwood N-CD-DM receiver Bluetooth satellite radio ready with detachable faceplate in black for (laughs) $149.99. I don't think I caught all that. Would you reread that? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) It gets four and a half stars. It looks like one of those fancy smancy car stereos from the year 2000. It doesn't look like it uh, is uh, newer than that. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking at the link that you put in the show notes. And for the love of all things high fidelity lifestyle, somebody, <laughs> somebody please design a radio that doesn't look like pure, unadulterated garbage. Please. Yeah. This thing just looks terrible. It's just, and it's got 25,000 buttons on it. And the only thing, like if you're, if you're like me, the only yeah, thing yeah. I ever do with one of these is connect my phone so that it 
it makes noise over the speakers. Like, that's the only thing I care about. I don't care about the radio, the satellite, the CD, and the 25,000 buttons or the display or anything. Given just how noisy the interface is, I'd be willing to gouge out the radio, the satellite radio, <laughs> the talking feature, the phone feature. It's I, pretty I, horrible. I would just like gouge out so much of this. The, the, Why is it that these things all look so gaudy and overbuilt and just, ugh, I don't like them. Are you looking at the thumbnail at bestbuy.com right now? Yes. Do you see where the time is on the digital readout? It's this little bitty time. Like the only thing I want on that display is a time. And it's this yeah. little bitty section on the bottom. Everything else is BT slash slash iPod slash slash USB. That tells you how old this model is. It still says <laughs> iPod. Yes. <sighs> but it does the job. It has the USB port. So that's giving you charge or you can connect via USB. And I love having it right there, which my newer Hyundai Elantra did not have the USB port right there by the stereo. You know, it gets the job done. It works really yeah. well. And I'm able to yeah. listen to podcasts in peace in my car now on my commute. And that's making me happy. Good. Yeah. So you're willing to live with this terrible garbagey interface in order to hear your... Do, do, do you ever have to mess with the interface or does it auto-connect and stay where you put it and, you know... Thankfully, it auto-connects and it remembers everything. It, it keeps the volume just right. It does not default to the satellite radio whenever <laughs> I start the car. So when you were... The built-in big screen, you know, radio, touch interface radio... It has a bunch of modes, um, and it has a DVD player, which the kids use in the back, but I usually want it to default, and I always click the button that, that you know, says go to the auxiliary mode so that it picks up my auxiliary input. The, da the dang thing never remembers when I turn off the key and walk away, and I come back, you know, and turn back on the key, or, you know, the next day come out and we need to drive it and turn on the key, it is on the satellite radio again. Never does it remember what mode I left it in. And it is the most frustrating thing. I don't even know what the satellite radio is tuned to, but it all of a sudden is blasting in my car, whatever it, it, it found, whatever station it's tuned to is a Sirius or, you know, the Sirius XM stations, or I don't even know anything about it. I don't care about terrestrial radio or satellite radio at all. I don't care. And it always defaults to the satellite radio. And, and no matter how many times I click Put it in auxiliary mode, it never remembers. Yeah, that literally is the worst satellite radio automatically coming on when you don't pay for it. You never want it for the rest of your life. I don't, I don't want it. I don't and want I it. I got my Hyundai Elantra. I was like the first, what, what do you call them? The first owner. I drove it off of the lot, brand new. Mm -hmm. And every day I've used that vehicle, it defaults to the satellite radio. Oh, so it does the same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I did find a nice trick that if you do crank the volume knob down and then you switch to the bluetooth and then you crank the volume knob up it remembers the volume on each mode oh the way it was left i should try this on my van to see if it is that the volume is mode specific i should hope i would that would be really nice now now but the see okay the thing is though i know what's going to happen if i'm able to turn the volume all the way down and then it does remember that in that mode. And then when it's an auxiliary mode, the volume's up. But what, what's going to happen is I'm going to start playing something on my phone. I'll be like, why is nothing coming out? Why can't I hear it? Why is nothing yeah. coming out? Because what, what the satellite radio coming on forces me to do is switch it into the right mode. And then it's available for my phone. Because it, it, it uh, the first thing I'm at, like, it's blasting and I'm hunting for the switch mode button. Yep. <laughs> so, but, but if it's all the way down, I won't remember to do that. I know that's going to happen. Hmm. Hmm. Which is the worst, which is the worst option? I don't know. <laughs> it's so hard okay so now that i got my phone and i got my stereo 
Why don't you talk about something else while I shop for a car charging mount? Uh, okay. Do you want me to send you links to the car, car charging mount that I got? No, I'm looking it up because it's in one of our other outlines. Okay. Okay. You want me to talk about the next topic? Is that what you want me to do? Yes, please. Yeah. In the news, I read about this story and I don't think I could wrap my mind around it anyway. So I wanted to hear your thoughts. Okay. So because we're a show that only records every two weeks and because we had lots of things to talk about when you were here, all this stuff, this is a little bit older news, but what I've, what I've linked to in the show notes is a Daring Fireball article from uh, the 1st of September. So it's exactly a month ago now. And the headline is Apple to relax anti-steering rules to allow, quote, reader apps to link their websites for account creation and management. This has to do with a, um, a settlement that they've reached with the Japan Fair Trade Commission, and they've decided to make this policy uh, worldwide and not just in Japan which is that they will allow developers of, quote, reader apps to include an in-app link to their website for users to get to set up or manage their account. So let's start with Apple's definition of reader app. You're thinking, is it an app that I read things in? No, that is not what a reader app is, according to Apple's developer guidelines. A reader app is an application that interfaces with an account. So Netflix is an example of what Apple calls a reader app. It reads data from an account. That's kind of why it's called a reader app. So on the Netflix app, when you open the app, it is useless to you unless you log into your Netflix account. And then it communicates with the Netflix servers and reads that data off of the Netflix servers. And now you are in your Netflix account via the app on iOS. And so what, what has been happening for a number of years, it frustrates me to no end, is that Apple will not, they require you to use their in-app purchase system or you have no other alternative to do a purchasing in your app. Well, that's that's fine. But then what happened is, just as an example, Netflix, I can continue using Netflix example, they no longer wanted to pay, because their margins are thin, I suppose, they no longer wanted to pay Apple their 30% or 15% cut or whatever it works out to be. And so they stopped doing in-app purchases. And initially, they submitted an app that said, you know, that had a link to Netflix and said, uh, you know, if you don't have an account, create an account on Netflix.com and then you can log in here. Well, Apple, uh, in all their wisdom, says no, apps may not link to the another website to create an account or whatever. And the problem is you can't create a Netflix account without, you know, paying for it and attaching a credit card. Well, Apple says you can't create an account in this app for money without using an app purchases, which you know, what takes 15 or 30 percent, depending on the developer and the deals and, and, you know, how long they've been in the app store. So this is a problem. They're kind of at an impasse. And Netflix doesn't want Apple to take a cut. Apple says you can't uh, have an app in the store that links out somewhere else to create an account and take payment. And so, hence the, the issue. So what, at, what this provision now means, uh, according to uh, this headline and, and Apple according, uh, supposedly saying they're going to relax the anti-steering. Oh, okay, so anti-steering is that rule that we we're talking about. They're going to relax the anti-steering rule, steering folks to the website to create an account. So in theory, what this means now is that finally, apps that are not participating in in-app purchases but still would like to offer accounts that you have to pay money for can now say, please go to our website. This is the silliest thing, right? You should be able to do this. never should have been a rule. But Apple's saying you can't do this. Please go to our website and create an account and then you can log in. That's what this means. And, and I, I find it hilarious that it has taken this long. And I think this is probably the, the, the most frustrating aspect of the App Store 
especially when Apple says that all the reasons they do things are for their customers. And this is clearly, this was clearly a reason for Apple. They were never going to get the likes of Amazon or Netflix on board as, as these companies have sort of gone head to head. Like there, there's huge companies and all of us use all of these services. And Apple says, no, you can't, you can't bypass in-app purchases by letting people sign up on your store with your payment system and linking out to that. So it's just been a frustrating situation, and I'm glad to see this reversal, but I'm also frustrated it's taken this long, and I'm frustrated that, that Apple, Apple, the, the, the way they position this is, look what we're doing for you guys, and I'm sitting here going, Apple, come on, you should have just done it quietly, and it shouldn't have ever been a thing. I don't know, what, what, what are your thoughts? I've been talking for a while. I'm thinking about it. I, I don't have strong feelings, but I do agree that they should be more cooperative. They, I, I feel like they're not doing right by the developers in general in this regard. But uh, man, dude, they, they really believe in the power, the, the uniqueness of how they run the app store for the customer's sake and the, the, the claims that they make. And they will just not break from the mantras that they keep about how glorious the app store has worked all this time. Ah. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, so in uh, another article I will also link in the show notes, uh, also on Daring Fireball, this is kind of a follow-up. John on Daring Fireball quotes John Syracuse, too many Johns, and, he, and John Syracuse says, sure, your, quote, reader app can include one, and then in parentheses, the letter, the number one, approved link to your website. But will you be allowed to have any text near that link explaining why someone might want to tap on it, or is that still forbidden? This is where we are mentally when considering App Store rules in 2021. (laughs) (laughs) So John goes on to say, I heard from one reader in the racket wondering if Apple is going to require these apps to also offer Apple's in-app purchase to be allowed to include a link to the website. So in other words, do they have to have an in-app purchase in order to also link to their website? (laughs) I have another friend who works on a popular subscription app that does use an app purchase who's wondering if they're going to be allowed to also have a link to their website now and doubting it. This is how much trust Apple has burned. And I, there's more to that. I'll, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Actually, you're editing the show this week. That's right. Make sure that gets in the, in the show notes. So, okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I just, I, in terms of, here's, here's an example. And recently, Apple's finally allowed Amazon on the Apple TV and only on the Apple TV to provide purchases from people logged into their Amazon account to provide video purchases. So before with the Apple TV, the one frustrating aspect of the Apple TV was if I wanted to buy or rent something on Amazon Prime that wasn't wasn't free to me with my Prime membership, then I would have to go to my iPad or my computer and make that payment. And then I could go to my Amazon account on the Apple TV and then watch that content which was frustrating because Apple was like, well, you're not using our in-app purchases. Well, you're, that's no good. Right. And finally, Apple allows Amazon to offer a purchase. If you're logged into the Amazon account, then you just say, hey, add this purchase to my account and you enter your Amazon pin code and it's all good to go. But it took years to get there. And I, I just have to wonder, what is Apple doing? Why do they think that these rules are helping anyone? And why do they think it's contributing to my high fidelity lifestyle when it is clearly not? <laughs> We're protecting users, Joe. <laughs> We're protecting users. Right. <sighs> I assume it sounds like you don't have many, any other thoughts related to that. I find it exasperating. Yeah. I feel your pain. Yeah. 
Well, the bottom line is Apple is going to apparently next year sometimes relax their anti-steering rules to allow, allow them developers to at least link out somewhere where they can make these purchases for developers who aren't participating in Apple's in-app purchases. And Netflix is not maybe the best example of this because I'm sure Netflix could afford to pay Apple, you know, 15 or percent or I think it would be 15 percent for Netflix and they, they can afford to pay Apple that probably. I don't think the margins of that raise with them. Now it does cut into their bottom line. Where it gets more tricky is a, is a shop like Amazon has always had razor thin margins. Like the way Amazon operates is they don't mark stuff up that much, especially their books, but, it, but you know, even their video deals and stuff, they don't mark it up that much and they, don't, they, they, they make razor thin margins. But then when you add 15 or 30% on top of that, they make no, they would, they would be losing money. And so they can't participate in the in-app purchase system because of their business model. And I think it is super sucky that Apple's dictated terms prevent Amazon from participating. It's not good for the platform. It's it's not even good for Apple, so I don't understand why they do it. It is not good. Yeah. And I don't know what is going to have to change for them. At this point, they're, they're so stuck on it that if they change their mind, they're going to sound weird. I know. Well, they, they've spent so long digging their heels in mm-hmm. and, and losing trust in developers, but it's even leaking out, I think, into the community. Now, now whether the average user, whether my wife knows anything about these things, I think once in a while, you know, something will, she'll be like, why can't I do X? And I'll be like, well, because, you know, why? why? And she's like, oh, okay. And then they, she moves on. So I, 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 I probably am overstating the case that they're, they're hurting their trust or their image with typical users. But certainly the users who are the most passionate about their products are frustrated by things like this. And it, it's difficult to, to see why Apple thinks this is a good thing and why they think it's helping them or helping customers, either one. Yeah, it's tough. I wish Apple would relent. Before we move on to the related topic, did you uh, find your um, car mount and did you want to talk about it or, or what? I saw your model. One thing that I like about yours is that it's sleek and small in that it has the round puck shaped MagSafe base that the phone is making contact to. Yep. One thing I find a little bit odd about the design of the thing aesthetically is that it looks like it has the MagSafe puck on top of a round wrecked like coaster underneath that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, you say it's small. I actually find it a tad bulky. In practice, mm-hmm. it, hasn't, it hasn't mattered. Made a difference? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking at a few other models to see if there was a model that had like a more uh, streamlined design. Well, and I would also recommend you look for one that has the third magnet, you know, the one that sticks out from the, the bottom. Oh, yeah? It hasn't been too much of an issue, but when I'm running caseless, the phone will tend to tilt or slide a little bit just because it's slick glass on top of that and it doesn't have enough friction to keep it from moving. Now with my cases, silicone case especially, but also my peel case, which is not as, it's a little slicker, but it still works just fine. It keeps it from rotating. But but if you're going caseless, it definitely has a tendency to rotate because there's not as much friction. If you had that third magnet on the bottom, you know, because Apple provides that third arm kind of magnet that keeps it from rotating, that would be helpful. Okay, this is weird. Like all of these car chargers, the MagSafe chargers are $35 and up easily. But then there's this one selling on at Walmart for $10. It seems unlikely that it would be any good. I know, but it looks like it's actually got the form factor we we're talking about. It has that extra mm. magnet. It, yeah. it looks straightforward. It's a simple 
design. I, I almost want to try it. But $10? Really? <laughs> yeah. See, I, I, I find it difficult to believe anybody could build a charger for $10. Likewise. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So the related topic to the anti-steering stuff is, I don't know if our listeners know, probably any of our listeners would be nerdy enough to know about the whole Epic thing, where Epic uh, tried to bypass Apple's in-app purchase system with their own purchase system, which is technically feasible. Like, you you know, you I write software that does this on the web. You you connect to Stripe and you submit payments and credit cards and all this kind of stuff. So it's technically possible for anybody to do this. And and what they did was they snuck this into their app, Epic being a game provider, and they snuck this into their app so they didn't have to use Apple's in-app purchases. And then they enabled it remotely with code, you know, on the server. And then all of a sudden, in app, at some point in the future after Apple accepted the app, users were able to to buy games in the Epic store thing app with using Epic's payment processors and not using Apple's in-app purchase system. And so, of course, Apple disabled the app and said, you know, see ya, you're out of the store. Goodbye. And so there's a little more to that, but like they went a little bit back and forth, but that's ultimately the issue. And they're still out of the app store at this point. And they've, the whole thing has been to trial. There's a whole hubbublue about Epic and Apple and, you know, who's in the right and uh, should the government even, you know, I, I, as a libertarian, I'm just sitting here go, should the government even be involved, you know, but, but, but that aside, like it's all gone to trial and, and, you know, there's all this stuff going on. Right. So as this is all happening, South Korea has gotten involved by passing a bill banning Apple from requiring app developers to use the App Store and app purchase system. Actually, this is even older news, August 31st, so I'm, I'm, we're really behind on this. But South Korea today, this is August 31st, passed a bill that bans Apple and Google from requiring developers to use their own respective in-app purchasing systems, allowing developers to charge users using third-party payment systems or methods. And there's more to the article. You can go read it. Uh, Apple, of course, has a response, which is the Telecommunications Business Act. This is the one that we're talking about. will put users who purchase digital goods from other sources at risk of fraud undermine their privacy protections, make it difficult to manage their purchases, and features like ask to buy and parental controls will become less effective. We believe user trust and app store purchases will decrease as a result of this legislation, leading to fewer opportunities for the over 482,000 registered developers in Korea who have earned more than KRW 8.55 trillion. I assume that's the Korean something or other <laughs> denomination of money. <laughs> so the point is that South Korea is saying, Apple, you can't require developers to use the in-app purchase system. They should be able to use their own their own purchase system if they want to. I agree with the sentiment. I don't know that it's a good idea for South Korea to be getting the government involved, but that's neither here nor there. I'm, I'm not in South Korea. So first, I want to talk a little bit about Apple's response here, which the Telecommunications Business Act will put users who purchase digital goods from other sources at risk of fraud, Joe. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Yeah, yeah. This, this is sophistry because people have been purchasing things online without Apple's protection for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe Apple products? Yeah. And so I find that to be a little bit, the, that language is just a little unnerving. Like Apple, what you've swooped in and now there's nothing else. It's, it's sort of like Apple's memory is so short when it comes to these sorts of things that people have been doing for years, but now suddenly Apple's in the game and only Apple can do this, you know? Yeah, if you go into the Apple store, they're selling third-party hardware and they don't restrict those companies from selling their hardware. Yeah, no, it's it's silly. Undermine their privacy protections. Again, same thing. Make it difficult to manage their purchases. This is the first valid point in Apple's response, <laughs> which with Apple's in-app purchase system, it is possible to manage all your in-app purchases and any purchases related to these things in one place, on iOS and on Mac and 
even on the web, I think with, you know, at, at whatever apple.com, you know, you can go figure that out. But there's basically all your uh, in-app purchases and all your purchases in general are now managed at Apple. So it's in one place. So it is, I suppose, a valid point as much as I like that. There, I have two responses to that. One is I've never had that before and somehow I manage my purchases. And two, you're telling me that you couldn't make it possible for developers to register their purchases with third-party systems in Apple system somewhere? Like that, Apple could figure this out if they wanted to. And uh, parental controls is also a valid point. They would become less effective perhaps because one thing that, that Apple has going is if you have you know parental controls where in-app purchases are turned off, that's iOS system-wide. And if, if the developer is using a third-party payment system, then perhaps it would ignore the parental controls. Now, I think this is also solvable because Apple could say, look, you have to check with the system and, and ask the system, are the parental controls preventing in-app purchases or not? And then comply with that and still use a third-party payment processor. These are all solvable problems. <laughs> it's just Apple is like, well, we've solved it this way to our benefit. Surprise, surprise. So <laughs> I have mixed feelings about all of this. And I'm, I'm curious, you, you know, one thing that Gruber brings up, I know I'm quoting Gruber a lot tonight, or I'm, I'm referencing Gruber a lot tonight. He had good things to say about this. Yeah, yeah. But one thing that he he brings up is considering the implications of third-party payment processing uh, for in-app purchases uh, on user trust. And and one one thing that Apple, I think, again, does have correct is that user trust, I think, is a little bit more than it would be otherwise, because they know they can purchase something in an app and they know where to manage it. And so it gives them a little bit more trust to be like, well, I might burn $5, but, you know, I'm not worried about what's going to happen after that. And I can always cancel the in-app purchase. So so Apple does. It's not like Apple has a complete non case here. It's just that they've. The underlying problem is they've treated developers poorly and they're starting to really reap the <laughs> rewards is the wrong word, the, the repercussions yes. of the way they've treated developers. If they'd treated developers better, you know, and gotten things better for developers over the years, reduced the amount that, of the percentage of in-app purchases that Apple takes. And, and basically, if they had gotten it down to a more manageable level, like, you know, even a credit card processing takes some amount of, you know, like Stripe takes 3% of my purchases on my website. So if they'd done 6%, that seems more reasonable. But but what I guess what service is Apple providing that is worth 15% of developers' money or 30% if you've only been in the App Store for less than a year? I think I have that right. But there's some rules around 15 and 30%. But 15% is an awful lot for the small amount of stuff that Apple provides. And, and seemingly, they talk about the, the, the App Store is curated and it's for the, the good of the users. And yet it doesn't seem like it's very well curated. It seems like garbage gets in the App Store all the time. Their system really penalizes developers who are good developers and it really rewards spam apps, it seems like. So, so what good is Apple really doing with the App Store that is worth 15%? And that's the question developers have been asking. And that's how we've gotten to this point. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what the answers to all these questions are yeah. other than Apple Apple really needs to to up their game. They they need to up their game when it comes to developers and app in the App Store. Yeah. <laughs> so many sources have been preaching this good point for a while now and it's very true and it's coming to a head and it, Apple looks really bad. Yeah, and and I think it's I think what's frustrating to me is when I became an Apple user this wasn't. This isn't the Apple I fell in love with. It seems that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, as the saying goes. And I, 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 I didn't expect this to happen to Apple so quickly. But they, they're a company that is driven by corporatism, really, and and that's frustrating because Apple didn't used to. I didn't it used to feel like Apple was driven by corporatism. 
I, I think this change really started coming about. Not not that some of these problems weren't already existing with Steve, but I think he would have he would have turned the rudder more quickly, you know, of the ship, so that it, that things didn't get this bad. Because he certainly had, I think, some some bad ideas. I think he would have fought to some extent to to keep the app store thirty percent and then fifteen percent. I, but I think eventually he would have realized a lot sooner than Tim Cook that we're we're in some choppy waters and we need to fix that. I don't know. I'm I'm speculating. Who knows? I I continue to believe Tim Cook was the wrong choice for CEO. He was a great operations guy. He was the wrong CEO, and and I think we're seeing a lot of that. It's difficult to argue with Joe mm-hmm. because um, success hides problems. But the problems are still there. Yeah. And because Apple is so successful, I look like a, a, a doofus sitting here telling Apple what I think they should be doing. Right. But I, I do think these things are hurting Apple long term. Yeah. And I don't know what to do about them. I, I'm just a little little guy who enjoys high fidelity, quali- high quality stuff. And the more we keep talking about it, the more they pay attention. Maybe. And things Maybe. do change. Yeah. Just sometimes it takes longer than others. The thing is, Apple has such a war chest of cash, they could stop selling and stop bringing in money and stop selling things and be good for a very long time and, and still continue as a company exactly as they are. That's that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, just coast for a very long time. And in some ways they are coasting. I still have faith they can they can fix some of these issues. And and overall, you know, I've been on the other side of the fence. Uh, I've had the Android experience and lifestyle and I've come back full circle I'm using all Apple devices again. Uh, I mean, my Hackintosh is not an Apple device, but it's running an Apple operating system. So it's essentially in the Apple ecosystem. There's a lot good going there. And I, I guess what I, what I don't want to happen is for Apple to get complacent and us to not have Apple anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Apple does a lot good. The few things that they do this bad do rub us wrong. You know, you look at some poor experiences on the other side of the fence, users who use those systems, they, they expect that. I didn't expect that, and I went over to the other side of the fence, and I was able to get around some of it, but ultimately I came back because I didn't like it. When Apple teaches us to expect a high degree of competency and a high degree of uh, well-designed products and well-done services and uh, a, expect a certain treatment of the developers they enjoy, and then when Apple falls short of those things, I think it's a much more glaring issue. So, so Joe, I would consider Apple in many ways a luxury brand. And when you're a luxury brand, you don't have the luxury <laughs> of, of being complacent in these areas. And I think that's why we're so frustrated. Sure, things are better on the side of the fence, but they could be better than they are. And it wouldn't take that much effort from Apple to make them so. Yeah, but but they're so stuck on what they've been doing and digging their heels in. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what, you, what else can you say? They're not going to budge. That's where the corporatism comes in, is, is that's a very corporate mindset. Well, this is the way we do things. And and when, when again, uh, not that Steve Jobs didn't have his problems and not the company didn't have its problems under Steve Jobs, but when Steve Jobs was in charge, corporatism was not driving things. It wasn't, we don't change things because we like things the way they are. Steve Jobs was always looking at how can we make this better? How can we do better? How can we be better? How can we make the customer happier? Right. Did, they, did he always get that right? No, of course not. But he was asking the questions, and I don't feel like those questions are always being asked at Apple anymore. Right. I agree. I think that there's a, an issue that a lot of the executives that are involved have been there for so long, it's hard for them to break from what they already think and reconsider it afresh. Yeah. And they want to hire people around their values that they have held for this long and hunker down. 
<laughs> they're going to change. I think in the long term, they'll have to. They will. It may be, but again, because success hides problems and money hides even more problems. It it, it may be a sl- it may be slow to come. And 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 a corporate mindset has taken over the company in a way that that is is cancerous. Honestly, yeah. So we'll we'll see. One thing I was thinking about, Joe, when I was putting all these links in the show notes, it's like, man, mm-hmm. we talk about Apple an awful lot, and we're not technically an Apple-only show. We should find some other things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> the next episode, maybe just an Apple-free episode? If the Apple event of October hasn't happened, I think we should. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm getting ready to go on vacation, so I'll be thinking about that on my vacation. You can think about that while I'm on vacation. You can think about me being on vacation, <laughs> and you can think sure. about what we can talk about. Was there something you had mentioned earlier that you wanted to talk about in a couple of weeks? And you said you weren't ready this week. What was that? Yeah, I wanted to talk about email clients, email apps again. Oh, yeah. That's not Apple specific, necessarily. Yeah, broadly speaking on mobile devices, computers. And I'm just looking at some alternatives, not even the Apple branded ones. Hmm, Yeah. I've been using Spark Mail for a long time, very happy with it. And I just realized one day I was listening to some other guys with a conversation about their email clients. And one person out of the bunch was using, I think it was Spark Mail for both their personal and work email. Uh-huh. And the others said, really, you actually do that? No, none of the others were doing that. They were using one for personal and then another app for business. It got me thinking, like, I, I do put them all into Spark. So maybe I need to find, maybe it would be a better experience to use a different client for my personal email. I've tried that and I, I prefer to use Spark. We can talk about this more in a couple of weeks, but mm-hmm. I have my frustration with Spark. Occasionally I'll go on the hunt for something better. Uh, ultimately, I can't find it, but I find it a little frustrating both design-wise and usage-wise. But ultimately, it comes down to Todoist and the integration. I can send an email into Todoist and it links it so that I can open that email back up. Like, because I run Inbox Zero. So let's say there's an email I want to respond to, but I want to respond to it in a few days or tomorrow or tonight or whatever. I send it to Todoist and then I archive it out of my inbox. You know, the integration is so tight. I send it to Todoist and I just click on the item in Todoist and it opens it right back up in, in, and it, it works across desktop, mobile, whatever. If I open Todoist, if I save it on my computer, open Todoist on my, you know, my iPad or my iPhone later and click the link, it still opens it in Spark on my other device. So that t- that integration is so tight, I don't know how I get along without it. And that's ultimately what keeps me in Spark. Yeah, that was just a teaser. Yeah. Sorry to be such a downer. I just, these were links I had saved up in my RSS client and I uh, I put them in here for today's show. So we, we started with some great stuff and then we ended with some, yeah. <laughs> Important stuff. Yeah, stuff that I just don't know what to do about, but wanted to talk about and don't have any solutions. That's the worst. But I'm going to move this topic that we didn't get to down and probably not going to talk about it because it's related to, you know, stuff Apple's doing wrong. And so um, I don't know if we want to continue down that road. Uh, but I've, I've put it, further down in the document for a future topic if we want it a little bit inside baseball for our listeners there sounds great yeah i'm going on vacation uh in fact i need to go pack and usually i edit the show right after we record so you're actually going to edit the show now uh so that i can go on vacation yeehaw i'll i'll get you the stuff you need thank you you will hopefully put the links i I have no control over it but you'll usually (laughs) as i'm editing i'll put links into the the links from our document into the cms that'll be up to you this week will do All right. Well, Joe, I think that's a show. Tell us a little bit about another show that you do. So I have one show out right now besides this one, and I have another one in the works. Oh, really? To be announced soon. 
do you want to tease us of what it is or do you want to be, be secretive? Not yet. I'm just going to say pay attention. We'll keep you posted. Okay. So the other show is Equinox. This is with me and a geneticist, a marine biologist, Dr. Robert Carter. Yeah. And you can find it on nightowl.fm as well. Great. Those links that I keep talking about, if you don't have a good podcast client, which the links will accompany that podca- the, this podcast in that client. But if you don't have a good one, say you're using Apple's and you need to get to the links on the website, that is nightowl.fm fm slash hi-fi slash 40 yes we are over the hill now this is the 40th episode and that's where you'll find the links is nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 40 uh and we will talk to you again in a couple weeks catch you later